Hi and welcome to Lessons I Learned in Law with me, Scott Brown. I'm Managing Director of Harriet Brown In-House Legal Recruitment and a recovering lawyer. Each week on the podcast, you get to hear my conversations with a top legal mind as they break down their key lessons that they've learned from working in the legal profession. I'm kicking this episode off with a, a bit of a bang or or should I say a, a dirty dance beat. Um, today I'm, I'm joined by a, a very special guest in Jules O'Riordan, which I'm really excited about. Hi Jules. Good day to you. <laughs> For those of you that aren't in the know, um, and I, I hope you won't mind me saying this, but Jules is perhaps better known by his, his stage name, Judge Jules, alongside the likes of Carl Cox, Paul Van Dyke, Paul Oakenfold, Judge Jules was one of the early superstar DJs of the the 90s. His music career has included Top 40 records, music promotion, a show on radio, on BBC Radio 1, which was certainly a staple for kickstarting Saturday nights for, for generations. And he's been flown all over the world playing huge dance festivals. But he's also, he's one of our own. He, in his 40s, he decided to upskill and qualified as a lawyer. And he's currently partner at Sound Advice, where he specializes in music and entertainment law. So Jules, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. I should probably point out that I still DJ a lot as well. So it's a very parallel universe that I exist in, or two parallel lanes. Some people would think weirdly dissimilar, whereas those that are more in the know might consider it to have an element of uh, being, of congruity about it. I'm interested to know how you how you balance and how you manage to, to fit it all in. Well, I my sort of game plan was I hit my, I spent 20 years as a touring artiste, dare I say it, going all around the world. And, 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 I, and I did that constantly. Um, missed one of my two kiddies growing up. Um, there were there were huge upsides to it, um, a life that most people dream of doing. But at the same time, there are certain downsides in that you you're never very grounded, and living out of a sort of metaphorical suitcase is is fun, but is not. Uh, it's probably not very healthy actually to keep doing it. And I don't mean from a sort of drinking too much event or any of that perspective. Just constant travelling, not sleeping in your own bed, being in different time zones. So I always thought, you know, I'll hit, when I hit forty, I, I need to do something. Uh, more grounding, both from a psychological and from a sort of physical perspective. And uh, it seemed really obvious that law was was the answer because I got a law degree I, when I was 21, didn't use it for, I went to LSE, got an LLB, never, never used it. Didn't necessarily think I would never use it, but it, but it transpired that I didn't use it for the best part of 20 years. Uh, so the plan was to sort of gradually, if you like, to use a DJ metaphor, crossfade between my career as a DJ into a career as a lawyer, specialising clearly in music, because that's what I know about. Um, uh, fast forward 10 years into my legal career, and I'm actually DJing as much as I ever was, albeit only at weekends and much more centred around the UK. I've got a buoyant sort of partnership in in a very strong boutique music practice in London's King's Cross. Amazing. But in terms of the legal, the, the draw to the legal profession at that stage, you've obviously from from reading, you've you've held other roles within the music industry, not 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 purely as a as a DJ. What what was it about law that pulled you towards it at that point? Well, I suppose having the name judge might have might have been a, a, a bit of a magnet. <laughs> Although clearly, I can't use the expression judge within the context of my legal practice. I might get my knuckles severely wrapped. But um, no, I'd ha- I had a degree already. Um, one of the sort of common denominators, if you like, of 
successful artists is that they do tend to be quite commercially savvy. It's, it, it, increasingly it's not really good enough to just have this great throbbing creative mind you've got to have a very strong idea of how to market yourself um and some positive and negative experiences about deal making it across the spectrum of the music business and most of the successful artists out there whilst they might have the conduit of management would actually probably be very good at doing it themselves and certainly call the shots decision decision wise so to then take that in part, to take the knowledge that I've gleaned over a lot of different jobs actually within the music industry that most of which occurred simultaneously, being a senior A&R, i.e. the guy that chooses the records for, for Universal Music, being a promoter at a very high level, being a radio presenter on Radio One, um, obviously the DJing, music making, had some had hit records and stuff. So that gives you, gives on quite a broad uh cross-section of kind of commercial experience, I mean, to put it mildly, really, of, of yeah. commercial experience in the music business. So the nicest thing, and it, it sounds like I'm trying to sort of be fake altruistic, but this is genuinely the reason, was to actually go out and, and try and help others, impart some of that information to others. And, you know, those um, those aspirant lawyers out there, I don't want to shatter any illusions, but um, you are music law is not where you make the biggest bucks. Um, mm. I wouldn't say you don't make good bucks because you do, but but if you want to make big bucks, be an M&A or other areas of kind of commercial law. Yeah. Um, so there's, for me, there is a genuine desire to take this kind of, these bits of knowledge that I've kind of gleaned from all over the place really and commercial experience and actually stop looking, if you like, in the metaphorical mirror because to be a successful artist, you've got to kind of look quite inwards really and you've got to be, dare I say, a bit selfish and actually completely throw my ego in the bin and start looking at looking at the careers of others. And that's what I did. And that's why I managed to build a legal practice really quite quickly. Um, yeah. Because, of course, it doesn't matter what your practice area is as a lawyer. It's got to be at least 51% commercial awareness and 49% law. I'd say actually the ratio is even more stilted in, in favour of the commercial awareness in most practice areas. So... Clearly, that put me at a bit of a head start once I did decide to, to be a lawyer. But I think the psychology of being an artist and being able to speak the language of, of artists is, ver is very helpful as well. Yeah, I think it's, it's amazing reasons to get into the profession and to, to, to be giving something back. Was there any point in your, in your music career, your career as a DJ, where you had your fingers burnt and you felt a lawyer could have, could have helped at that stage? I think partly... For, for one reason, which was, as I mentioned earlier, I graduated in law age 21, and there's nothing more dangerous than somebody with a law degree who thinks they're capable of being a lawyer. So there were occasions where I was doing some really quite big record deals, didn't engage a lawyer because I thought I knew what I was doing. And I was so far from knowing what I was doing at the time that I did certain deals that I regretted. I mean, thankfully, I learned after a while, did engage a third-party lawyer, and those deals, surprise, surprise, were all considerably more favourable. The advice you give at the moment, how much of how much of that is, is legal? I, I can imagine there's a lot of rounded advice that you can give that isn't purely purely legal to your your clients as well. Yeah, I mean I guess it it, it kind of depends what the, where the question comes from, but I but I having come from a broader I so I spent five and a half years at Sheridan's which is a general a very prestigious uh general entertainment firm and 
remain very friendly with some of the, the lawyers there, whereas the place I'm at now is more music focused. But I know that I know from my conversations with other lawyers within different spheres of the entertainment world that there is still an awful lot of commercial experience that one needs to impart. I mean, it really depends on the set of circumstances. Clearly, if there are disputes going on, then a knowledge of the law and the knowledge of the processes comes to the fore as as compared arguably to kind of deal making where you are taking your experience and and providing sort of very practical advice based on that experience where tied into an understanding of contract law understanding a lot of different areas of law that come into play when there is a transfer of intellectual property rights um, certain kind of restraint of trade type things I mean very various other things that all all come into play so clearly um, when one when one does the LPC or when one does a law degree um, you don't realize how you will be applying it you know that it's going to be very much uh, a sort of a woven tapestry if you like of legal underpinned with legal principles but delivered ideally in a palatable understandable way to your client that that makes a bit more sense and um it's funny i have I've overheard other lawyers. I'm not necessarily, I won't name any firms and I'm not just talking about the firms I've worked at uh, on occasion, really quite unable to explain things in, in layman's terms, either dumbing it down so much as to sound patronizing or, or forgetting if you like some of the, some of the lawyer's language that isn't actually palatable or understandable to normal people. And I think Mm. my, my, previous life uh, has really helped me in that respect to make things very clear to people uh, partly because i'd sort of th- th- there's there's a lot of emperor's new clothes about an encounter with a lawyer especially if you're in the arts where mm-hmm. nobody dares admit they don't understand what the hell the lawyer's going on about um yeah n- not with let alone what the contract's got to say uh and i'm very determined that that those thoughts won't even go through the minds of my clients yeah, uh, yeah, I can, I can appreciate that. Just going back to the career change and um, making making that switch. What I find really interesting about it and, and fascinating about it, I guess you've you've managed to marry your artistic pursuits and your your passions um, with a more traditional career. Other people that I've perhaps spoken to have done it the opposite way around so their corporate career first and and left the corporate career moved into there and pursued a passion is that the way you see it the, the theory was that i was going down civvy street and leaving hippie street you <laughs> silly metaphors but uh the reality is that i do i do both simultaneously i've actually got a really close friend that i met at my my previous firm who was a, a kind of IP-based lawyer, a, a fashion and brands lawyer, who's who's now a music manager and has kind of completely left his legal career behind. And and we laugh at each other because he thinks I'm utterly insane because he'd always <laughs> wanted to be in the music business. And I'd I wouldn't say I'd always wanted to be a lawyer, but it's been an aspiration I've, I've had for I'd had for a long time prior to actually doing it. Right. Where did that Where did that come from? Who were your Who were your biggest influences or or um, mentors within law? Uh, well, I had a, a, a very close friend who, at my previous firm, who now is a sole practitioner, who has got some absolutely household name clients who really, uh, we happen to support the same football team and go to, go to football together. So there's a big social thing as well. And he really took me under his wing. And, um, you know, when I was being, having been a trainee in a law firm, where, but a much older trainee than, than typical, 
uh, you're in a strange situation, really, because you can't be beasted as bad. You know, you can't be made to do loads of stapling and, and photocopying. Or you can be, but I wasn't made to because people will feel yeah. a bit bad about it because you're older <laughs> and you're this kind of weird character that they've, dare I say, heard of a little bit. But at the same time, I didn't want to act like I was high and mighty. And I was very l- lucky to have a mentor who just threw me into the sort of work that trainees wouldn't normally get given on their first day, let alone in the latter portion of their traineeship. So I sort of was able to take those kind of commercial, those bits of commercial knowledge and actually apply them to to legal practice very, very quickly and built up a client base while still a trainee, a client base while still a trainee to the point at which I was completely sort of independent of having to work on other other fee earners' clients while still a trainee, which was nice. Yeah, good to know they treated you uh, treated you well. What I remember from my my days as a trainee, there was a lot of um, a lot of socialising, trying to chum up with senior associates and, and partners. But um, how how were you tre- how were you treated in that um, in that sense or in socials? I and yeah, things? I wouldn't say I was trying to chum up with anybody. I, I got on with people. I mean, I've come from a really social background. I mean, obviously. Yeah. To be a successful DJ, you, you obviously you've got to be able to mix some great tunes together, but you're constantly at, at, at every single weekend. I mean, since since the end of lockdown, since July the 19th, so-called Freedom Day, I've done 40 gigs, 40 DJ gigs between then and now. We're talking, we're recording this in early November, so in a fairly short period of time. Every one of those, I'm having to go and meet new people that probably never met before doing festivals so so actually just hanging out and socializing and talking is it comes as second nature it's all i've ever known so uh, that element of being a lawyer was quite fun and um and actually i realized that some of the the lawyers i was working with were bigger party animals than some of the party people i kind of worked <laughs> with in my in my sort of prior life yeah, I could, I could imagine. I know, I know a few of those. Actually, when I was, when I was thinking about this, this chat, it's surreal to be sat interviewing you today about lessons learned in law because I, I was actually at, I think it was New Year's Eve, two thousand nineteen, in in Edinburgh after a, a gig in Princess Street Gardens. I, I, I seen you after. I don't know if it was an after gig, if that was how it was, uh, how it was billed, but you're set at the McCune Hall in Edinburgh. So it's, um, yeah, it's a bit crazy to be sat here talking about, about law. <laughs> I think that was probably in one of the original super spreader events of, of COVID when it was under the radar. But you mentioned the big football, you're a big Gunners fan, I understand. I am. I am. It's funny when I, well, I don't want to, I, and I must say that, that my love of football has come up in both of my job interviews for the two positions that I've held as a, as a lawyer. Um, To be fair, I think that's more because people kind of root out your interest to see if you're a face that fits. Because let's face it, we're in a, we're in an industry where there's a fairly high degree of academic achievement. Um, so you're almost, uh, and in my, in my current firm, now I'm a partner, I've been involved in the recruitment process. So I, whereas in my previous firm, I was too junior and it was a much bigger firm. Therefore I was never involved in the recruitment process. And you, you certainly learn that, um, Yes, of course, the CV is going to be the first point of uh, reference, pardon the pun, in in terms of whether or not to recruit somebody. But actually, to that social thing, whether the face will fit, and that that's not supposed to be a a statement of everything that hate, people hate about the legal profession. You know, pale, male, and stale. I don't kind of mean that. I mean that it, just just to know that you're a fun person, whatever your interests are, um, is really really important because you are you're at close quarters with that individual for you know potentially for years 
it's really important to get that off the off the page. But me- mentioning the, the the wider legal profession, just just to touch on that, you, is it fair to say your 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 legal career is, seems to exist around a bit of an ecosystem within the music industry? Yes, that's that's fair to say, or within the, the kind of broader entertainment, entertainment. sphere, because um, the more successful talent branch out into other other areas of the entertainment world or indeed people from other areas, the entertainment talent spectrum start making music. Yeah. Do you think there's anything that the legal profession can learn from the entertainment industry as a, as an industry? I, the thing is it's, it's very, um, they're very connected because all the, all the rep, the bigger record companies, all the bigger music publishing firms, and indeed some of the larger management firms have all got in-house lawyers. So yeah. Uh, there is a bit of a kind of there's a bit of a revolving door between the the in-house guys and the private practice guys although my i'm a little bit occasionally i feel some of the in-house guys can sort of down tools at sort of half six when uh, when if whereas if i down tools at that time and i've got a huge pile of work to get through my clients can take their business elsewhere yeah yeah, it's uh, it's one. Yeah, it's definitely a different mindset you have to have in in practice versus versus in house. Um, I guess when you're well, you're only as good as your last gig, and I think that's a, one of the sort of useful lessons from from being a DJ and and doing. Dare I say, I've done about five thousand DJ gigs, if not more. So, and you literally are only as good as your last gig. It's no point thinking, oh, I did a great job of work six months ago on a particularly important gig or a particularly impo- important matter that one worked on as a lawyer you've just yeah. got to deal with it on a day-by-day basis and and sort of be organized and be in my case i have to be particularly organized because when you're running two jobs pretty much full-time i mean I was, the legal practice obviously is full-time being a being a dj is nigh on full-time my word do you have to kind of um write things down and just have systems in place to keep things together. Yeah, I, I bet. Super organized. And as a career, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the career of a DJ feels like it's it's what you make of it. It's unstructured to something that's structured, quite hierarchical traditionally within within law. How did you manage that? Well, it depends what you mean by structure. I mean, there is, there are, no, there aren't, particular hierarchies unless you want to talk about the sort of more successful artists who are hierarchical hierarchically treated in the flyer billing or or, you know where where you are where you appear in the billing for live events Mm. um but there's not a traditional structure of hierarchy per Mm. se because everybody is a self-employed individual uh, metaphorical island if you like surrounded by support staff if Mm. they're of a sufficient level you know managers agents and then kind of professional people probably probably an accountant would appear more prominently than a lawyer but there's no hierarchy per se i mean but i i think it was for me more of a cult that aspect of the legal profession wasn't a particular culture shock because there are hierarchies within all um businesses that employ lots of people um yeah it the the, the biggest culture shock really was getting on the tube at, at rush hour and and kind of living that slightly more structured Day, you know, doing the same thing every day type existence. I mean, yeah. one of the greatest joys of the place I'm at now is that I drive to the office and I've got a parking space And because it's the only thing really that I didn't like about being a lawyer uh, at my previous firm. Everything else I really enjoyed and it, it went on to be everything that I hoped it would be and more really, uh, especially on that deeper 
looking after other people rather than just focusing in on yourself, which I think is very, there's a lot of karma in doing that. I don't want to sound too kind of hippie-ish, but there really is a great deal of joy in that, especially if one is a little bit older. It sounds great. It's amazing that you found that. And you sound very motivated by um, by the profession, clearly clearly are. What motivates you to keep going, having had a, a crowd of thousands in the palm of your hand? Um, what is it that what is it that motivates you to be a, a good lawyer? I just you want to build you wanna you, you want to ascend through the divisions, really. You want to be a Premier League lawyer. I mean, I'm already a Premier League lawyer, but I want to be the best in my... You can't be all things to all people. And even within the music um, sphere, you're always going to have certain types of clients. My, my artistic client base, and I don't only represent artists, are predominantly people from the electronic and the UK black music world. But that's. But I want to be the the best in that area and I'm, I'm dare I say I'm getting there really so I, I suppose it's sort of it's ambition because you have to be very ambitious to to prosper as an artist as well yeah were those were those the same drivers early on in your in your music Always, career? yeah absolutely yeah. and what about if you hadn't been a DJ first time around at uni where do you think your career would have would have taken you it's well it's well, clearly that's hypothetical, but I had started DJing by the time I was 16. So I think it was, my God, if it wasn't my destiny, I don't know what was when you start so young. Yeah. Nice. What advice would you give to people that are perhaps making, looking to make that, looking to make a switch in career, um, whether it's in or out of law? Well, I think if you're switching into law, having some degree of legal experience is quite important. And I I say that as somebody now who has interviewed candidates for our firm. In in a very in a sec in small sectors with a huge degree of um demand for for positions like entertainment, um you need experience both on the entertainment front, but also having done a year's paralegaling even just just to demonstrate that you've actually got legal skills and that you're serious about it and that you're not just treating it as a bit of a pipe dream because i i've had many a conversation with people who've looked at what i've done have been in the music industry for i don't know 10 15 20 years some of whom have done well mm-hmm. um and have thought well it's easy to make that switch because of the experience i've got but actually you really um i was sort of lucky i think if you had any, dare I say, it, if you had anything less of a degree of prominence, and which, because in my case, that I think that caused the firm that took me on to take a chance, then you really got to have a bit of bit more legal experience than I actually had. Right. Um, and then moving out of law and into something else, well, that's just too general a question to to answer. It depends what you want to do. I mean, if you want to go and um, <laughs> build houses on an on an island in the Caribbean, good luck to you. Yeah, follow your passion, I guess. Can you tell me a bit more about Sound Advice and the the, the plans for the firm and um, is there a growth? Yeah, well, Sound, Sound Advice is um, is located in Tile Yard Studios, and Tile Yard Studios is, if you like, a business park. It's the biggest business park of music biz, music related businesses in the world. There are two hundred different businesses there. There's eighty different recording studios. There's some very very famous artists got studios in there. Noel Gallagher, The Prodigy, Apple have got their radio station there. There's pioneers DJ there. There's there are so it's actually within a community. It's the only law firm within a community of music. 
it's just in an environment that lives and breathes music. Um, as compared to the firm I was at before, which is in Soho, but Soho's a much more general sort of area. Um, yeah. Soho, uh, Sound of Ice is, is very artist focused. There are, um, there's only 11 people there, majority of whom are lawyers. Um, yeah. We look after other entities. I mean, I've got well, management companies, sync agents, um, some agencies, uh, record companies, music publishers. So I don't just look after artists, but we are an artist-focused um, firm. Yeah. Um, if you like, gladiatorially fighting for the right of the little guy. Good, good to hear. Um, must well, have a great fact, buzz. We've got some quite big guys we represent, but I, I make it sound a bit more uh, like a movie scene than it probably is. <laughs> it's good, good to hear, and there must be a good, there must be a great buzz about the place with that, um, with that community that you spoke of. Yeah, very much so. Sort of post COVID, especially with um, with people predominantly, it's it's a predominantly young person's kind of a state of two or three thousand people working in all those different businesses. Um, yeah. Most of whom are now back at work. So it's the the, the buzz and the vibe that w- that was slightly. Uh, uh, that had its carpet unceremoniously pulled away in March 2020 is now back. Good, thriving. And finally, what's uh, what do you make of Arsenal's chances this season? How do you think? What do you think of Arteta? <laughs> uh, I think uh, he needed to be given a season in front of a crowd. I don't yeah. think you can judge any manager based on on the the, the the crazy twilight zone year that season that was COVID. So. Uh, pardon the pun. I'll be the judge at the end of the season. <laughs> well, we'll end. We'll end on that note. I'll hold you to that one. But great to great to speak with you today, Jules. Thank you so much for for the time and for sharing those sharing those lessons. Thank you very much. I know my story is probably a li- not the most uh, usual story when it comes to a, a transition into law, but hopefully there are some certain things that can be applied to others. Absolutely. And it's inspiring, if not the fact that you were drawn and attracted to a career in law, having having seen and done all that you've done for, um, throughout your throughout your music career. So I think it's uh, it may not may not ring a chord for everyone, but it's yeah, really inspiring. So great to great to chat. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers. Oh, that was, uh, I was a little bit nervous going into that one, but what a, what a great guest, what a nice guy and amazing story. I was a little bit, a little bit starstruck going into it. Um, I was a, I was a big fan and big listener of the weekend warm up on BBC One back in the day. So it was a prelude to a lot of, a lot of Saturday nights out at university. So, um, so yeah, blast from the past. Thank you for listening to Lessons I Learned in Law. For more info on all of my guests, head over to harrietbrown.com forward slash podcast. We've had some great guests on series one and series two, a lot to catch up on if you've not listened already. And if you've enjoyed listening, please rate and subscribe uh, and share across your network. It's great to get engagement and to to hear your thoughts and as many people listening to this as, as possible. But I'm Scott Brown. See you next time.